to the One America podcast. Today is our Monday motivation segment where I like to talk with someone inspirational and motivational. But as you all know, we have a big election happening here in the United States tomorrow on November the 3rd, Tuesday. So if you haven't voted, I need you to vote. If you can do so early, still in your states, check with your registrar. But I have a great guest today, a friend, uh, someone iconic in my opinion when it comes to politics, Mike Madrid, who is one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project. He's a longtime Republican political consultant and a former political director for the California GOP. Mike, good morning. Sophia, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you. I want to get right into it. So um, we've got some great promos out with you. We were able to pre-record a little bit and you talked a little bit about what people can expect on election night tomorrow relative to uh, what states to watch early, Florida, you know, Georgia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, the eastern states that close early Virginia, which is where I live. I want to just ask you a a more general question, though. What do you think, Mike, is at stake in this election for America? Well, that's a great question, and it's one that we've been pondering. When I say we, I mean, you know, a lot of of Americans, a lot of conservatives, and specifically you and I, for some years now. Uh, Look, this is not a normal election. This is not about ideology. This is not about the heart and soul of the Republican Party or the conservative movement. This is about the foundation and the cornerstone of democracy, the rise of authoritarianism. It's about Mm -hmm. the character of the American people. It's about a lot of uh, the foundational and fundamental elements of what it means to continue the American experiment. And it's one of the reasons why, obviously, folks like you and I have raised our voices in chorus with others to speak out against what we're witnessing unfold every day. So I say that without any hyperbole. It's something that I believe to my core. It's We are at a moment in American history where we will define whether this will continue, this idea, or whether or not it will, it will end and slowly erode and fall into something that we have seen overtake too many governments for too many years over the course of human history. Yeah, you know, I agree. Republics don't usually have a long shelf life. I mean, you know, they usually last a couple hundred years and Rome would be one of the last great republics, of course, that faltered. But although I would say that Rome had a lot of other challenges, uh, but I've seen some of those challenges here in this great republic happen. Culturally, there's a decline. Uh, There's all kind of issues that begin to happen. And... um, you fall away from your core values. So tell us over the last four years without, look, we all know, everyone on my podcast knows how I feel about this president. Uh, I was a never Trumper from the moment he was on the scene. Um, The uh, Hollywood access tape did it for me as a woman. Uh, And then everything else I've seen. But tell us what we've seen in the last four years relative to an erosion I think, Mike, of trust in our institutions uh, from our intelligence agencies to attacks on the military not being defended to public servants like Anthony Fauci being, you know, uh, made to be pariahs. What What's happened uh, to our institutions? Well, we, we are at a crisis in most of the institutions with not only that you have mentioned, but so many others. The, the first, I think, piece that has been seriously damaged is the idea that truth 
evidence and facts matter. With, without believing in that, you, the erosion of everything that we have built as the pillars of our society will and have begun to crumble. And so, so what do I mean by that? Well, look, we we have witnessed since really since the the end of the post World War era a decline in societal confidence in institutions. We have seen people's belief and faith in religion falter, faith and belief in government falter, faith and belief in corporations falter. And that has accelerated in recent times. But what what has happened is we've we've hit a point where there's a fever pitch almost going through the looking glass where a wide swath of our society now believes that reality does not matter as long as it fits their own perception of the, what they choose or want to be reality. And that's the largest sign of a collapse of institutions because we can no longer agree on what is a common good. We no longer have a common virtue. We no longer believe uh, in the same tenets of what it means to be American. Like what are American values? They're no longer they're no longer held in common. And and as one side begins to to lose in that struggle, and I would argue, I think it's very clear the Republican Party has lost the high ground on a lot of the morality, virtue, and institutional belief and faith. It, be, it begins to create its own its own alternate reality, and it begins to question anything about those institutions. And so, ironically, when you and I joined the Republican Party and the conservative movement, we did so in large part because it was upholding those institutional values. It was upholding those constitutional beliefs. That is not the Republican Party of today. The Republican Party of today is the exact opposite. It is choosing to destroy those institutions because it believes that it has failed them. It believes that the American promise of a middle-class income or uh, aspirational view of the world has failed them. And any people that are conquered display a certain number of characteristics, almost entirely those that the Republican Party and the Republican base, and frankly what Trump and Trumpism um, exists as, exemplifies that failure. It exemplifies that collapse. The challenge going forward is, is can we rebuild those institutions with such a wide swath of Americans have no faith in them? have no confidence in them, and candidly, literally, in many instances, do not believe in them. And that will be the challenge uh, for the next president going forward. You know, you said a lot there. I want to unpack it just a little bit for our listeners, because we do have people listening all around the world. And, um, you know, I think that for me, one of the most hurtful, and I say this like you, I mean, it rocks me to my core to see people who I used to respect, you know, some Republican senators, some others who uh, were really people that, like you said, we trusted institutionally. You know, we know that people have partisan differences on the economy and on health care and on fundamental issues. But things like, like you said, like Republican presidents, in fact, the last person to sign the Voting Rights Act was George Walker Bush, okay, the 43rd president. And, and there wasn't even a question that he would renew the Voting Rights Act, right? His father before him, the same. And, uh, you know, it was George Walker Bush that helped to shepherd through the, the National African American History Museum and appointed the first black secretary of state in Colin Powell and the first black woman in Condoleezza Rice. And I can go on and on that even though Republicans and Democrats had differences 
there were fundamental things, Mike, that our presidents understood that they would do regardless of party because they were right, because they were part of the institution of America. So my question to you is, what in the hell happened? And I mean this sincerely, that in just four years, we've seemed to have completely fallen away from those traditional norms of what the presidency is. And uh, I mean, was this a Trump thing or is this something that was happening and we just didn't see it? Well, that's that's a really good question. And I think the answer to that is it it, it has always existed. Sophia, we, we've always seen it. We've known that it hid in the dark shadows of Republican conventions. We heard it emanate every once in a while. I think I, for one, um, was negligent in understanding how how those dark angels of our nature could be summoned uh, at a time like this and and take over and become a more dominant part of of this party. Now, having said that, I be- I do believe to my core to this day and always will that conservatism properly understood is the universal belief. It's about the universality of the human spirit. It speaks, I think, in the way only the ideology of conservatism can about what every every human being can become and should become and aspire to. It's why I was a Republican. It's because I believe and, and will never stop believing that these inalienable rights are the birthright of all of us as human beings, regardless of of our skin color, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our nationality. That, that is the promise of America. What happened and is happening is as we transform demographically as a society, as, as whites become a smaller share of America, there is a perception that there is a loss of status. There is economic yep. anxiety that exists with those who are not highly educated, And there is a a very increasing and persistent belief that the America that they grew up in will not be as beneficial to their children and those that will come behind them. Yeah. And and that, that becomes a very real threat to their personal identity in a very visceral tribal way. And so what you have seen is the politics of grievance and of white identity become the majority uh, driving force behind what is on the center right. And the irony here is the Republican Party has always criticized the Democratic Party as being the party of identity politics when it, in fact, is now the largest practitioner of identity politics. It's just white identity. Yep. And so you, yep. rather than having a discussion about tax policy or free markets or foreign policy, we now talk about building a wall and defending the Confederate flag and, you know, law and order dog whistling and, you know, blame, blaming everybody else is to blame. Everybody but this dem- demographic is to blame. We blame the Chinese for the, the Wuhan virus. We blame Mexicans for stealing our jobs. We blame, you know, as Jared Kushner said, we, we blame African-Americans for not wanting to, to be wealthy enough to work hard to get it. We blame everybody is to blame. There's no ownership. And that, of course, as you know, the the Republican Party was once the party of self-reliance and self-responsibility. But now it's the party of blame. It has to find blame for for all of these bad things that have afflicted us. It cannot be our fault. And so Donald Trump speaks to this false mythology of what America once was 
and and cast blame by saying everybody else stole this from us. In fact, he's saying that about the election that we'll have tomorrow. It can't. It's right. not. It's not possible that Americans would not vote for us and vote for this. It must be stolen. It it, it has to be from people who don't understand what America is. They're trying to take it from us and steal it from us the way they've stolen everything from us. You know, again, you've said a lot. I love this dialogue. You and I could talk for hours about this stuff and probably hold court with an audience as long as we'd like. But I think that, you know, again, you've said something powerful. White identity politics is now a thing. You're right. If you go back to the 1988 election, you remember uh, Willie Horton Uh ad and you've got these ads and you could see it beginning where the fear of... uh, African-Americans, this increasing uh, population of urban uh, dwellers in our cities, different, more leftist, uh, etc., which brings me to something that really makes me viscerally angry, which is this whole talk about socialism. And as I, uh, again, a student of politics, of history, a lawyer, constitutional scholar, I am amazed at how little people know about what socialism is, what communism is, what fascism is, things that when we grew up, Mike, you learned about in school. Uh, Having Ronald Reagan as a president of our childhood are coming up into our formative years, getting ready to attend high school, etc. You know, a different world we lived in. Communism in the Cold War was still very real. It was very palpable. And to fast forward and see the party of Reagan Um, You know, the party of Dwight Eisenhower, the party of Lincoln, of Grant, of Teddy Roosevelt, etc. To morph into this tribal, angry, flag-wielding, militia-bearing group is is frightening. And I guess for me, uh, the question that I have is, is that uh, do you think, given what the FBI has been saying about the rise of white supremacy and the rise of these militia groups. Do you think that there's seriously a chance that there could be some violence around this election if Trump doesn't win? I think there's a very good chance that there will be violence even if Trump does win. I think that that's the goal here. And I'm a little bit less uh, concerned about it than I was perhaps three or four weeks ago as Poland has shown consistently he's in a very weak position I think his his most rigid adherence to the most extremist elements of, of the right have been tempered somewhat by the reality that this is an unlikelihood going to be a loss um, although if you follow any sort of conservative media these people are convinced he's going to win 400 electoral votes and, and part of that, part of that is by design. That part of that is elevating those expectations, along with the president saying we can't lose; it can only be stolen from us. Despite all evidence to the contrary, literally is the goal. See what he's trying to do is undermine confidence in our democratic system, and that begins with the most foundational part of democracy, which is the vote. And if he is successful in doing that, and and again, I, I think he will declare victory very early on Tuesday night. Um, and 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 set a contrast between these two Americas that he's worked so hard to create. That violence and violent outbursts will become an inevitable part of what what his his ultimate goal here is. And and that's why you have cities like Washington D.C. boarded up. That's why all police departments in all of these states, red and blue, and battleground states, are on high alert. 
and are preparing for an outbreak of violence. Is that that is the goal? That is the aim. Now, do I think it will be widespread? I think it will only be widespread if if there is uh, some very serious shocks to the system. Now, we have not seen as much foreign interference, I think, as mo- many of us were anticipating during the during the throes of this campaign. My fear is what we will be seeing is uh, as the election counts come in, the misinformation will begin. Disruptions to the electoral process will begin in earnest as uh, as we reach the late afternoon of Tuesday, November the 3rd, and continue through the course of the night. The president's campaign itself is going to be complicit in legal challenges, uh, meritous, having merit or not, um, because, again, I, I don't think that it's really about um, him preserving the integrity of the elections. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's about disrupting and pre- bringing down institutions for all the reasons that we talked about just right. a few minutes ago. Right. Let me unpack that a little bit for our listeners, because, again, Mike is such a rich treasure trove of information, and I love it. A um, couple things uh, that I heard, uh, and, and I think we haven't talked about, which I want to talk about next as we wrap, is uh, the free press, and I'm hold that for a moment. But you've said something that I think is important. I've listened very carefully to the president and his surrogates, uh, and if you watch a certain network, if you listen to people like Glenn Beck, if you listen to people like Alex Jones, if you read Breitbart, if you watch Fox News, and if you watch these outliers, I call them outlier news, uh, including Russian TV, right? Uh, and if you begin to digest that every day of your life, you really are in an alternate universe from the majority of the rest of the country. And I think one of the things that the president has done very effectively, which is tragic, is his attacks on the free press, which if you know anything about the foundings of America, folks, and you read our constitution and you read the preamble and you read the Declaration of Independence and you begin to really study our underpinnings, Jefferson, uh, Madison, Adams, Washington, all fundamentally understood that a free press was the guardian, the guardian of a free republic, of a democracy. And if that press somehow undermined and I think it has effectively been so for a large population Um, I don't know if you saw my Twitter feed the other day but I did this thing where I opened it up to Trump supporters and I said look seriously I want to know why you're voting for him and I got something like 4,000 responses and I would say probably 90% of them were very thoughtful there was no disrespect they appreciated the forum and I just watched what they were connected to Mike and socialism was at the very top of that list like he's protecting us from socialism and then there was the media is no good the media has destroyed this country and then it went down from there with the checklist of judges and you know pro-life and all the other things but can you speak to this rise of fear of socialism and what that means because i'm not sure i even understand (laughs) what it is that they, that they think they're hearing that's socialist that they're afraid of. Maybe you can help us with Yeah, that. that's a really, really great question. So socialism becomes the umbrella boogeyman under which the fear of all of this change is wrapped. Most of these people will not be able to explain to you what they even mean or what specifically socialist elements and creep it is that they're talking about. But I think it is ironic and it is important to point out that perhaps the largest purveyor of of, of socialism in many ways was Donald Trump, right? This is somebody who, who opposes free market capitalism. He, he opposes free trade. 
He's dramatically expanded our debt and expanded, you know, certain aspects of our government in extraordinary ways. Um, in many ways, I think it's fair to say Donald Trump has been a bigger purveyor of big government than, than and more successful than Bernie Sanders ever was. And I say that I say that because it, it tells you that the argument against socialism. And look, I don't support socialism. Right? Neither do you. Me but we, we properly Absolutely. understand what it is. And maybe it's because of our age and what we saw through the Cold War and through the creep through Eastern Europe of what this meant. Well, Joe Biden is not a socialist. OK, um, not, not even, even close. close. But the, the threat of that is really an argument against change and against America. And it really has a lot more to do with all of these other elements for where he has placed blame than changes in the economic um, structure, which social, socialism properly understood actually represents. So what I believe he's actually doing is he's talking about uh, socialism being a threat to America, but he's also talking about Mexicans being a threat to America, the Chinese being a threat to America. You know, anybody who's not white mm-hmm. is a threat to America. That That's what mm-hmm. this argument of socialism really means. It's an umbrella argument that wraps all the bad things about the change to America under one auspicious label and says this is what is the greatest threat to us. And those that are sensing fear and their own decline, hold on to that. Hold on to that because it gives them an anchor to which they can point their blame, their fear, their frustration, and their anxiety. And it's very easily wrapped up under one, you know, red scare name of socialism. Yeah, I think that's right. As we wrap this down, we have about six minutes or so left. I want to get back to, of course, what we all are interested in, which is Tuesday, November the 3rd, 2020, a very historic election. We stand at the precipice of having the first woman vice president, the first uh, African-American vice president, the first South Asian vice president, and Kamala Harris, my sorority sister. I'm very proud of her, no matter how this turns out. But my question to you is give us a a wrap, uh, Mike, of what you expect to see. Um, You can make a prediction if you like on who you think the the victor will be or how this will shake out. But just walk everybody through kind of, again, you've already given us uh, in some of our preview snippets about uh, what to look for on election night. But tell us how you think this is going to shake out. and, And, you know, will they be able to stop counting these ballots? I know that the Trump team has indicated they're going to, on election night when the polls shut start saying that ballots shouldn't be counted which is utterly ridiculous given that we've got military ballots out and those are always counted up to a week as much as a week out uh, from the election just kind of walk us through what 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 to expect and what your prediction is for the outcome of this election Senator so Trump. I think there's a couple of different scenarios that are likely to play out in the next 24 to 48 hours uh, the, the, let me give you the bad scenario first the bad scenario would look something like Uh, Donald Trump shows stronger in places like North Carolina and going into Florida than we would expect. Um, If he does come up with strong numbers in Florida, and that's very possible, by the way, we have built most of our, at the Lincoln Project, most of our roadmaps to 270 around Florida. But if if Trump, you know, Florida is an early counting state. If Donald Trump wins Florida or it's close and we know by 830 or 9 o'clock on Tuesday night, he will probably declare victory at that moment and then deal with the chaos that he creates as part of his strategy of clinging on to power. Um, I do believe that there is a very strong roadmap for Joe Biden to at least 320 electoral votes. Of course, he needs 270 to win. Uh, My number is about 323, 321 on most of the mapping that we have done. It is quite possible it could be bigger. 
there's always the potentiality, always the potentiality it could be smaller. Donald Trump could win this race. I think most uh, most people who are looking at this would suggest that's a 10 to 15% possibility. That is not uh, completely insignificant. That does happen. It happened in 2016, could happen again. But I do believe that if we do show strong numbers in Pennsylvania and stronger in Ohio than we had hoped, and if Biden wins in Georgia, we will probably mitigate a lot of the chaos and unrest and of course, if Biden wins Florida decisively by meaning by two or three points, um, I think that we we will be in for a rather calm evening, regardless of what the president does. The challenge then will become the interregnum period, this three month period uh, for the towards the, the the transition of power and whether or not it can be done peacefully or not. But uh, the, look, there are a lot of ghosts of 2016 out there. There are a lot of there's a lot of anxiety. When you look at the data cleanly and soberly, it says very clearly that Joe Biden is in a position to win this race in a way that maybe only two presidents in the last 50 years have been positioned to win. So numerically, mathematically, from a data-driven perspective, everything evidence-based, Joe Biden's very well positioned to win this race. Let me ask you this um, again, as we're wrapping out, we got a few more minutes. If Biden wins decisively, and again, I'm looking for, for me, as someone who's done this like yourself for a long time, Florida to me is an indicator. I actually expect Trump to carry Florida Uh narrowly. And I know that Trump needs to win Florida to stay alive. If Trump loses Florida, it's game over for him no matter what he does. I just don't see him doing, I mean, there are other ways, but you and I both know that's gonna be very complicated for him if he doesn't carry Florida. My question is, if there is a strong rebuke of Trump, which I think all of us, never Trumpers, Lincoln Project people, et cetera, are hoping for, I think there needs to be a strong, overwhelming sentiment from the American people that they had enough and they want this guy out. But if it is close and if it comes out where Biden gets 278 to Trump's 260 or they end up at 259, 259, which could happen under a couple of scenarios, and, and it, this thing is closer than any of us think. What does that do? Is, is that, are we going to survive that? Well, we will survive it. Uh, I think an incredible amount of damage can be done. The truth is uh, we, we are not as aware of how much damage has been done as we probably will be in six months from now as we look back, reflect, and try to rebuild some of our institutions. One of the scary things, Sophia, that I'm absolutely convinced of is we have no idea how much damage has actually been done. And we're not going to find out until there's a completely different administration that takes power here. But I, I believe that we will be digging out of this for at least a generation. And my hope, of course, is that we will have a transition of power because I don't know that we can withstand another four years of this to our base uh, foundational elements of our, of, our, of our basic system of governance. But look, the, the interregnum period is three months long. That is an incredibly long period of time. It was built for a time and age when we were on horseback traveling to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, that three-month period concerns me greatly because a lot of damage can be done um, in, that, in that same time as Donald Trump tries to cover his tracks um, and, and you know, we'll be pardoning and, and, and shredding <laughs> and, and, you know, 
positioning and um that 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 period scares me too i don't want to get too deep into that because some of it is speculation and hopefully we, we can get on a pod later right. and talk about that if there is a successful victory by joe biden but look we could be in for the a very very delicate fragile period in our american democracy and so i'm hoping everybody remains vigilant cool-headed but committed to preserving union right mike are you still there did i lose you